If you've been with us, or if this is your first time, we are in a protracted study of the Gospel of Luke, executive uh, expository study, verse by verse, going through the wonderful Gospel of Luke. And we are now in chapter 19. We entered into that uh, when Jesus was in Jericho last time, and a little fella came along by the name of Zacchaeus. And if you missed that, it's available on live stream and uh, other other means and avenues. Uh, you can follow and pick up on that if you want or anywhere in the series. But our scripture reading today, the, time, the title of the message is the time of visitation. And that's really what's beginning to take place. The time of visitation when Jesus is coming to the Jerusalem for the first, uh, for the last and final time. And so at that time, that whole period until Jesus goes to the ascension is the time of visitation. Uh, our text today is Luke chapter 19 verses 11 through 27. This is the word of the Lord. Hear it with careful attention and appreciation. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minus and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you. Because you are a severe man, you take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming... I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, 
Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God Almighty abides and remains forever. Let us pray. Father, these are challenging and difficult words, especially this last verse in our text. But Father, give us light and understanding. Do not leave us to our own inclinations, to our own fanciful notions. Father, lead us into all truth. By the power of the Holy Spirit, whom you have sent for that purpose, be glorified, O God, as we read and hear and expound your word. And we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, having left Jericho in our series last week, Jesus is now on the way at last with no more stops until he reaches Jerusalem or the outskirts of Jerusalem, to be more exact, for the final time. Now, I have somehow misplaced my nice um, pointer that will show things, but I think we still have a slide here, I believe. Yep. Now, you're going to have to do your best because I don't have a, a, a finger that will work, work for that very well. But the point is, look up at the top. Obviously, that's where Galilee, where things started. And, and, and this, look at the red directional map that's coming out of the Sea of Galilee, out of Capernaum, Jesus' home base. And then it's showing him coming down to Samaria and then kind of swinging over. And going by Bethshean, you can't see that there, but uh, crossing the Jordan and then eventually coming down. And there's Jericho down uh, kind of uh, north, northwest of the, of the Dead Sea there and going. But you can see the mountainous terrain uh, being graphed there. At Jericho, notice I told you that's 13 miles way directionally up. Very steep climb. And Jesus is now leaving Jericho. And somewhere along this place where Bethany is, that's where he would end up staying with Martha and Mary. But somewhere along that road, he gave this parable that we're looking at now. So that gives you a little bit of context and where things are beginning to go. In the first week of August, 
1914, to be exact, in the month of August 1914, the German Kaiser told his army, you will be home before the leaves have fallen from the trees. Now, if any of you know your World War I history, did that happen? No. That was just the beginning of an awful years of a bloody war, World War I. The war to end all wars. Yeah, right. But you see, people don't anticipate. They think, oh, this will be dealt with real quickly. We'll take care of this real quickly. Such were some of the attitudes on the eve of World War I. And now, today, in this present time, we all know, in light of the Israeli and Hamas war, Prophecy pundits are popping up everywhere, left and right, signaling the imminent return of Jesus just any minute now. They're bombarding the airwaves, buying up airtime, because surely this is the time it's going to be the time. Do you know how many times there have been since... That all those other times, everybody was the, now one of those times it is going to be that. But this idea that we think this is the one we got somehow got a handle on it now. You see, that's also this idea of the imminent coming of the long promised of God that's going to happen in our time everybody believes that most people believe that and that in itself is not bad at all because one of these times it is or there may be other things that are going to be part of that but the point is the way in Jesus's time that's certainly what people were expecting They were absolutely convinced this was the time. This was the time they had long been waited for. Their deliverance was at hand. Their Messiah was coming and it was all going to be grand. That's also what the people in Jesus' following in this caravan, coming up out and had been following Jesus and growing in that group as they came up the mountain that day. They felt this was surely the time. Listen to this statement. And as they heard these things, or excuse me, yeah, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because... Here's the quote. They, meaning the followers, supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear imminently. 
See, that's what most people, anytime there's something out of the ordinary, most people think, well, this, ha- this must be it. They did too. So there's a linkage here. They had that same kind of expectation. But Jesus had a different agenda. He was trying to get them to understand, yes, remember the now and the not yet, but this is not yet. This is not the now. The not yet is to come, but the now, it's not that yet. So Jesus' disciples were hoping that a revolution would take place that would bring the kingdom of God at their doorstep. And they were already jockeying for position. You know, you know what I mean by that? What I'm referring to? Remember how many... There, all, all the Gospels talk about the bickering among the disciples. About how they're going to get ensconced in the better, best seat. They, these guys were already, as they're making this trek up the hill, they're thinking, once again, still like that. They're thinking, well, I wonder if, how I can get to be number one. And when I, I like, I'll help number two over there. And we'll go, you know, it's like something out of a, out of a scene of Congress. It's, you know, just unbelievable, self-serving. But that, that's, that's how people work. It's, it was absolutely pandemonium. They were counting on this being the time and the place. And so Jesus' disciples had been, even now, thinking about how this was all going to come down. But the parable that Jesus gave is intended to correct that attitude on the part of his disciples then, now, and wherever they were. To warn them that the Messiah was not first going to rule as they are expecting in any way. But rather, he is going to be crucified and rejected for a time until he does come to return again. The return of the king will come. But the question is, when? So, here's the, te- here's the uh, outline. The king's departure, the servant's test. And the king's return. Now, the king's departure. That's basically in verses 11 through 14 of the scripture reading. Now, you probably know this already. But for most of church history, this particular parable, the parable of the ten minus. And by the way, a lot of people confuse it with the other parables of the talents. But they're not the same. Similarities, some think overlap, but there are dis- a number of distinctions. But for a long time, many in the church have seen this parable of the ten minas as a picture of the final last judgment. When Jesus returns as king and rewards his faithful followers and punishes all of the evildoers. Gets rid of the goats, keeps the sheep. That's how it's been, this, this passage, this particular passage, that's how it's been understood historically by many. 
This portion, you see, according to this parable, a man goes, excuse me, I'm sorry. The parable here in this story, the parable Jesus returns as king to reward his faithful followers and punishes his enemies. That's, that's what I've just now said. That's what I've... Now, but that is not what Luke saw, the way Luke saw it. That's how the church has understood it in the past. Most of the past, most of the time, they viewed, well, this is, the, when, this is talking about second coming, Jesus gets rid of the goats and keeps the sheep. That's what most people were thinking. But Luke, I don't think, was thinking that at all. I don't think not here, not this place. Now, Luke did. Go read Acts, Acts 1. <laughs> Clearly, she, Luke was the one talking about the ascension, going up to the Father to receive a king. Luke believed that, absolutely. But this point here, was not, that was not the point. In this case, Luke saw it differently. The parable is about something happening much, much closer to his own time. In other words, that he was in the middle of something that was yet to go down that was having this kind of language, using this kind of a parable. And so the parable is about something happening much closer. Now, according to the parable, a man goes to faraway land and he receives a kingdom. And that's what, in this case, happens. And this portion of the parable portrays Jesus' departure via the resurrection. This is, that's what's happened. That's what he's, the leap. Jesus is the, is the figure. And the king, the rightful king, is, goes on away for a while. And that, as is, is Luke would understand that, that's exactly referring to the faraway land. And when he's there and when he's through, he receives the kingdom. Go read to Daniel if you don't believe that. Seven. He receives a kingdom. And then Jesus' departure in resurrection and then receives the kingdom and at his father's side for a time. That time's not specified. In the meantime, he's gone. The, 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 the nobleman, Jesus, the king, he's gone. He's somewhere else. But he's going to be coming back at some point in time. Now, according to the, in the meantime, he left servants associated with Jesus and he called them together and he gave them each a mina. Now, uh, a mina is about a hundred drachmas, which that doesn't help us at all, does it? Uh, no, um, that's three months wages. 
So that's a pretty good size uh, chunk of change there. Uh, so, so all these 10 servants get these 10 minas. And they were to trade with the money and make it grow in value. So that was their job. While he's gone, but he is saying, I'm coming back. I'm going to eventually uh, call in some of those markers, see how my, my stuff is doing. So they are supposed to be trading with the money and making it grow in value. But some subjects, and here's the distinction. There's two groups that have been for a long time following Jesus. They're the ones that are curious. They're the ones that are, are trying to understand and lean in to, to understand what Jesus is talking about. That includes the disciples, the, all the circles of the disciples, even people that are curious but are, are, but are hopeful and, and trying to find out, and, and they're sincerely following Jesus. And then, of course, there's the religious elites. They have been there all the time. They've been hearing all this. They've been listening to all this. And Jesus is now using this reference to them. Some subjects wanted to do with the nobleman, and they wanted nothing to do with him. And so they sent a delegation. They sent a delegation to the powers that be to say, we don't want this king. We don't want this nobleman. We don't want him to get his kingdom. And we want to run things. We want to be in charge. We want to be the kings. Of course, those who refuse to rule don't want to comply with the standards and requirements of the nobleman's rule. They are the Jewish religious leaders, while, as I said, the servants were those who followed Jesus. Now, secondly, what's this test about, this servant's test? It's obviously a lot of information, but I'm going to try to condense it down a lot more for you, for us here. The servant's test. The parable of the minas deals with two classes. I just told you who they are. The religious leaders and the followers of Jesus. Servants and enemies. That's what you need to note. There's servants and there's enemies. And they were to engage in business until I come. That's for verse 13. But the results of this directive were varied. Even by the followers of Jesus. Now, what do I mean by varied? Well, some handled the charge that was given to them very, very well. And they brought in extra money into the account of the king. And they did well. And so, others, though, did pretty well and there was even some one that didn't do well at all as we would see it certainly so some handled the charge well others didn't however here's what's fascinating 
the response of the king was compassionate to all. Now, we're not talking about the enemies, but we're talking about the followers of Jesus. There's, There's a disparity among how well they did, but Jesus takes whatever is given and then decides what to do with that. But he responds to, he doesn't put harsh terms on anyone like he does with his enemies. Even though some don't do as well. There is compassion to all. He judges the servants according to their own words. Remember the last one that said, well, I knew you were a hard man. He said, okay, let's use your own standard. You knew all that? You didn't even, you didn't even do that. Listen to what uh, Chuck Swindoll says about this. This is, I think, very helpful in, in understanding this. By transferring the unfaithful slaves, mina, because that's ultimately what he did. He said to the one that didn't do anything with this, just threw it it in a a hole in the ground or in a a handkerchief. He basically said, well, you could have at least, you know, got me. But in transferring the unfaithful man's, he said, give it to the the guy who's got 10 already. Well, that, that probably blew his mind. But he says, by transferring the unfaithful servant, uh, slave's mina to the care of the most successful slave, the master proved that he cared less about fairness. Don't we hear that everywhere? Well, that's not fair. I want it to be fair. I want it to be not. Whiny bunch of babies about fairness. That's not in this picture at all. He cared less about fairness than about faithfulness. We want fairness. God says, just just give me faithfulness. It doesn't have to be equal with someone else. Just, Just what I've given you. Handle it well. Be a good steward with it. Be that as it may, the master was fair. We would say, no, that wasn't fair. None of the slaves ended up with less than what they started out with. Who who gave it to them in the first place? Did they earn it? No. He gave it to them. And nobody was given less. In truth, all the slaves stood no chance of losing and had been given every opportunity to gain personally by acting as faithful Stewards. So, where's the the charge of unfairness? There is none. But when Jesus gave to one of the the guy that had 10 and said, give him another one. Give him another mina. Everybody, oh, that's not fair. That's not fair. There's another parable about that. Where Jesus is saying, you know, really? Show me how what I did was in any way unfair. You know, we kind of move that goalpost around when we, do, when we talk about fairness and, what, and watch others do so. So, the king, you see, 
here. The master takes away the single mina from the least productive servant and he gives it to the one with ten to which the crowd responds with, huh? What? Incredulity, I think is the, is the word there. You see, they struggle with kingdom ethics. And so do we sometimes. This is the way the kingdom, there's no unfairness here. There's, there's equity and justice. But too many people define their own terms of that and say, that's not fair. We sometimes can get caught up in that as well. Now, finally, the king's return. It's basically in one last verse, 27. Only one group suffered loss. None of the followers. It was the religious leaders in the parable. The citizens who rejected the master's authority and actively worked against him became the object of his wrath and judgment. The master's order to slay, that's pretty gruesome, to slay his enemies in his presence. He's not going to be turning away. We're we'll watching foreshadows the coming judgment upon those who oppose the kingdom of God. Now that's, that's, that's tough stuff. That's not your, you know, oh, isn't everything happy, happy, happy all the time, time, time. No. There is going to be a very, very sad time for many that do not follow and obey the Lord Jesus. But here, the master orders that kind of judgment. But which return is in view of Jesus' parable point? That's a, that's a, that's a, that question is just begging there. Okay, what is this talking about? Okay, it is going to be a harsh judgment coming upon God's enemies and they are going to be obliterated, slaughtered. But when is this happening? When will this come? Which return, quotes, is in view of Jesus' parable point. Now, I'm not talking about what someone else might be postulizing or what might be saying or thinking about, but in what Luke is saying and what is going on here. What is the real point here? Which return are we talking about? Was it a time that was near to the followers of that very generation? Or was it what we sometimes call the parousia that we often referred to as the final coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints? 
We find that in 1 Thessalonians 3.13. So we know that's true. That's going to be coming. But is there something else, perhaps, that will show up between the departure, leaving the country, the resurrection? And is, is, is it, could it be something else sooner than what we would call the final, again, that language, the final coming of our Lord with all his saints? Now, Here's how I, I, will, I will pull this together where I can't lose. It's really both. Because if, if there is something, they both, they both are going to happen. Only, some people think there's only one thing going to happen. Some people think there are multiple things. There, but, you know, it's, it really is. If it is earlier, if it's, if it's in this time frame, in this generation that is in the text... That doesn't do anything to stop because there's plenty of other texts that point about that final, ultimate judgment. Getting rid of all the goats, not just the ones that were in that time and spot and place in Palestine in those years. You see, ultimately, it's both. But. Here's my point. I wouldn't be a good exegete if I didn't try to tell you why I think one of these is what Luke is driving at here. In context, I believe it makes the most sense to be referring to the days of vengeance involving the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem. There is a coming there. Not the final ones we just the Thessalonians passage, but something before that. And that is the and Jesus, and how do I say that? What's the basis for that? Well, you're gonna find out in Luke 21, 5 through 33. That entire section is talking about stuff that's not out there in the future for, for this group of people at that time when Jesus was coming up that hill. This was stuff that was imminently in front of them. And within a generation would have come to pass. And will have obliterated one, basically, completely, the temple and Jerusalem in the A.D. 70. So do, do what, is that where, that's where I'm, if that's what I'm saying. That is clearly going to be there. We're going to run right into it. So we don't have to worry about it. You're going to see how, and we're going to, you'll get to understand how that is part of this. That is what Luke is saying. But, here's the big but. But whether Jesus was referring to his generation or our present one. They're not, they don't cancel each other. It is a most severe warning, whether it's back then in that generation or whether it's now or whether it's into the future still beyond when all of us are gone. There's one common denominator. 
It is a most severe warning to those who refuse to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and King. And whenever that will come, it may have already come in some sense. It will ultimately come. Could be in our time, could be long but it will come. It will certainly come. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. In flaming fire. This is talking about his coming. Inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel Of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment. Of eternal destruction. Away from the presence. Of the Lord. And from the glory. Of his might. And when he comes. On that day. To be glorified. In his saints. You better believe. That day is coming. And you better be hiding In the solid rock. Jesus is the only one that can deliver us from that day. It does not pay to fight against the king of kings. It does not pay to war against the Lord God Almighty. You remember that. Amen. Oh, Father, these are fearful words for those who do not know and do not love our Lord Jesus' appearing. Father, we know that you come in your own time. And, Father, you tell us To be ready and to wait. And to depend and trust in you. And Father, that's why you sent us and you send us out into the world. That there will be more and more that will come under the reign of King Jesus. And become his friend. Those that are even now enemies, O Lord. Will you slay them with with the gospel sword and make them your friends. Bring them into the kingdom of life and love. O Father, you are a gracious king. Continue to show us that in faithfulness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.